Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, June 24th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Tragedy in Miami Beach overnight, an oceanfront condo building collapsing. At least one person dead, more than 50 people unaccounted for. Search and rescue efforts are ongoing as the weather worsens in the area. President Biden announcing that an infrastructure deal is finally in place after a major compromise between Democrats and Republicans in Congress. And Britney Spears delivering an emotional plea for her freedom in a California court as a pop star details alleged abuse in her professional and private life. The details and more today on U News. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with a tragedy in South Florida, a residential building in the town of Surfside on Miami Beach collapsing in the middle of the night, trapping hundreds of residents inside. At least one person now dead, dozens saved in the early morning hours. What we know at the moment is the following. It's that more than 50 units were destroyed. That building is a 12-story condominium located in the town of Surfside, just north of the city of Miami Beach. Lorraine Cáceres is at the scene and has the very latest. Heartbreak and shock in Surfside, Florida. This is going to be an entire building. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, twelve, to thirteen stories. It's the scene of a catastrophe, a residential building partially collapsing in the middle of the night as hundreds of people slept inside. You know, it's a really, really tragic situation. So we'll hope for the best in terms of additional recoveries, uh, but we are bracing uh, for, for some bad news just given the destruction that, that we're seeing. So Miami-Dade Fire saying over 80 fire rescue units responded, working to rescue people trapped inside the 12-story building. There's no words, like, uh, hopefully nobody has to leave this situation. And they were, like, they were, like, close friends, like, family for us. Nicolás Fernández owns two units. One of them is completely gone. He rented the home to a couple and their daughter. He fears they might be deceased. Like, they raised her so good. They, they are amazing. And it's kind of sad to see them. Hopefully, no, because I don't have information, but... It's sad to see them go like that. The structure was built in the 1980s and was undergoing roof repairs, but the cause of the collapse is undetermined. There's no reason for this building to go down like that unless someone literally pulls out the supports from underneath or they get washed out or there's a sinkhole or, or something like that because it just went down. Andrea, and right now we are at the reunification center, which has been set up so that families can come here seeking for their loved ones. Right now I'm here with Sergio, who's been here basically all morning, right? Um, what's your situation? Well, I'm looking for my brother. He's uh, Luis Bart uh, from Colombia. His wife, Catalina Gomez, and uh, his daughter, Valeria Bart. 14 years old. What is the last you know of your loved ones? When was the last time you spoke to them? We spoke uh, last night about 8.30 p.m. in the night. And we were planning to, he was he was about to leave the, um, the apartment today. I was supposed to pick, pick them up uh, today at 10.30 in the morning. And then this happened. You haven't heard from them, obviously, all morning. What are you Nothing. feeling? 
No. A lot of faith, just waiting for a miracle. Uh, we have uh, no information about them, just waiting, waiting right here for a miracle. Can you talk about where their unit was located in relation to all of this? Uh, it was unit 204. It's a uh, northeast uh, side. And it's one of the, the, the parts where we're more damaged into the building. Right now, I mean, it's going to be many hours before you probably get some news. Um, what is the police, what are authorities saying in terms of the process? No, there's no, there's no too many information. We're trying to, to contact the hospitals to see if uh, they, they arrive uh, to, to any, any hospital. But unfortunately, they are not over there. And the thing is, we have to, we have to wait till we receive uh, any, any new. What time did you make it out here? Obviously, this happened in the middle of the night. Your loved ones were sleeping. Well, I, just, I just came here uh, like at 9, 9.30 a.m. Uh, that's it. Well, we wish you the best of luck, and of course, hopefully you're, you'll hear from them soon. Thank you so much, Sergio. And just as Sergio was describing, that is the situation that dozens of families are in right now. They haven't heard from their loved ones in hours. This happened in the middle of the night where hundreds of residents were sleeping inside this residential building. To have an idea, right now, authorities are saying there's about more than 50, 51 was the last number we got of people that have basically um, are disappeared. Here. They haven't heard from them in uh, all these hours, and the police have confirmed that one person is dead. They've been able to rescue and get out of the buildings 35 people, but as of now, we have we don't have an exact number on how many residents exactly are missing. Just those 51 that can be accounted for by a family member that's reported them missing. So that you have an idea, we're at the reunification center, as I was saying, and we're about six blocks away from the, where this happened. This is for people watching from other states. This is prime real estate here in South Florida. We're between South Beach and North Miami Beach. This is a, rod, a waterfront property, and these apartments go for more than half a million dollars. If our producers can toss us some pictures that we have of what these units more or less look like. This is a two-bedroom apartment. This is what happened. This is what they looked like before this collapse. And right now, the um, town mayor is saying that this uh, process of recovery is going to take a week at least to be sure that there's no one else left inside these rubbles. And of course, a detailed and meticulous investigation needs to happen to determine how this building collapsed. We just heard the mayor talking in our package about it's almost impossible to conceive how this building collapsed this way unless you literally take the supports out of the building. And that's what we have not been able to determine at this moment. So we will be here as long as it takes to see what happens with these families, how these families are rescued right now. The governor has said he is on his way here. President Biden has also obviously reacted to this tragedy, saying that he's sending his prayers. And this is the latest information we have here from Surfside. Now back to you, Andrea.
Lorraine, as you mentioned, you are at that reunification center, and I would like to go ahead and share the reunification telephone number. That's for anyone who may be watching at this time and doesn't know about a loved one, where they may be, or they need to report them missing. That number is 305-614-1819. Lorraine, thank you so much for that live coverage, and we'll continue to monitor this terrible tragedy very closely and be hopeful, you know, that these efforts will result in finding some more people alive inside the wreckage of that building. Thanks so much for that report. And now turning to Washington, President Biden addressing the surge in violent crime across the U.S. after sitting down with the attorney general and the mayors of major cities, 32 cities reporting a rise in homicides and assaults. The president saying we have an opportunity to keep each other safe, adding it's enough. With crime surging around the country and under increasing pressure to act, President Biden pledging to tackle this head on. We have an opportunity to come together now as Democrats and Republicans, as fellow Americans, to fulfill the first responsibility of government and our democracy, to keep each other safe. Enough. 32 cities have seen a rise in homicides and assaults so far this year. And when you look at some of the nation's biggest cities, homicides in New York up 13.5% since last year, Los Angeles up 22% and Houston 24%. And as we emerge from this pandemic, with the country opening back up again, the traditional summer, summer spike may even be more pronounced than it usually would be. The president's plan, allowing cities and states to use COVID-19 funds to staff police departments, while also directing a federal agency to revoke licenses for gun dealers who fail to run background checks. My message to you is this, we'll find you and we will seek your license to sell guns. We'll make sure you can't sell death and mayhem on our streets. Law enforcement officials fear the trend could continue. We absolutely are concerned about the rise in violent crime, specifically the most dangerous type of violent crime, namely the homicide rates uh, all over the country. All this happening as Democrats push for police reform. On this issue, there have been two sticking points, the standard for charging police officers with crimes and qualified immunity so police officers can be sued in civil court. A lead senator on the negotiation says today may be a make or break day. We need more cops. We shouldn't be defunding the police. We shouldn't be targeting the police. Meanwhile, Republicans tie the increase in crime to calls to defund the police. And in late breaking news, President Biden saying, quote, we have a deal. This after a high stakes meeting at the White House following a late night compromise between congressional leaders in both parties. Meanwhile, the idea of infrastructure hitting home for the city of Washington, D.C. itself. Multiple people were injured when a pedestrian bridge collapsed over Interstate 295 there in D.C., leaving four people hospitalized. According to fire officials, a diesel truck was trapped under the wreckage and at least one other vehicle was hit by debris. The cause of the collapse is now under investigation. Now to the aftermath of the Capitol riots, a 49-year-old woman from rural Indiana becoming the first person sentenced for the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. On Wednesday, Anna Morgan Lloyd, seen here giving the thumbs up, got six months of probation for trespassing and a $500 fine. 
Federal Judge Royce Lamberth noted she avoided jail time because she was not violent and only spent 10 minutes inside the building. Morgan Lloyd also immediately cooperated with investigators and expressed regret for participating in the insurrection. There are currently nearly 500 defendants from 43 states who are part of one of the largest investigations the Justice Department has ever conducted. Meanwhile, the Biden campaign says some of those involved in the January 6th siege on the U.S. Capitol used Facebook to spread messages and gain followers. CNN obtaining emails revealing that officials thought the social media platform didn't do enough to stop the spread of election fraud lies. Here's Rafael Rodriguez with the story. Thank you for the support. Just weeks before the election, this video from then-President Trump's son began circulating online. The radical left are laying the groundwork to steal this election from my father. We need every able-bodied man, woman, to join Army for Trump's election security operation at... The video's release on Facebook prompted a flurry of frantic emails between people working with the Biden campaign and Facebook. The fact that this video is still on your platform and is being used to recruit some sort of, and I quote, army for Trump's election security effort is astounding. That's what a senior Biden campaign official wrote to Facebook when a Facebook official responded saying it didn't violate their policies so the video would not be removed from the platform, but it would be labeled. The same Biden official responded. The Trump campaign has received the message that they may put videos on your platform saying that millions of fraudulent votes will be used to steal the election. And the solution to that is for able-bodied people to enlist in an army. Good gracious, I struggle to believe that is the precedent you are intending to set. The Democratic National Committee is worried misinformation is fueling new laws, restricting voting rights, and will be a major issue in next year's midterms. The question for me is what has Facebook done to address what happened? The incitement of violence, the spreading of misinformation now being used to justify anti-voter legislation. And I just simply don't think they've done enough, Tony. You are not going to steal this election. In the days after the election, the Stop the Steal movement began spreading on Facebook. A DNC official flagging to Facebook one group that was said to be suggesting political violence and included content from QAnon. Trump is still your president! Meanwhile, Trump supporters began taking to the streets, repeating some of those lies they had seen on social media. The ballots that you said you saw are lying around the place or in trash cans or whatever. Where are you hearing that from? Uh, I mean, it's the videos are going viral everywhere. Uh, I've seen them on TikTok. I've seen them on Facebook. I've seen them on Fox News. I've seen them on the local news around my area. There's a ton of social media platforms. Yeah. Um, why, why are we talking about Facebook here? Well, Facebook has the biggest reach and I think presents one of the biggest challenges. And this challenge isn't for the Democratic Party. This challenge is for American democracy. Katie Paul tracks extremism online. What Facebook should be doing right now is the exact same thing it should have been doing a year ago and two years before that. Ensuring this content is not easily accessible on the platform. Facebook did take down some of the posts and groups devoted to election lies and groups like QAnon that were flagged by the DNC and the Biden campaign. Facebook has declined on-camera interviews on this topic, but a Facebook spokesperson telling CNN, we've done more than any other internet company to combat harmful content, including limiting content that sought to delegitimize the outcome of the election, both before and after January 6th.
But Democrats say Facebook is simply not doing enough. We're not asking them to take down everything that we don't like. We're asking them to take down rhetoric that incites violence, that disenfranchises people from their constitutional right to vote, that spreads misinformation about democracy or about elected officials, or it makes it harder for us to compete on a fair playing field. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. And in related news, a Republican-led investigation in Michigan has concluded that there was no widespread or systematic voter fraud in the 2020 election in that state. Joe Biden won Michigan by more than 154,000 votes. The Michigan Senate Oversight Committee released its 35-page report on Wednesday. It rejects claims by former President Donald Trump and his allies that Michigan's election was fraudulent. Among the falsehoods the report debunks were claims about unsolicited ballots and dead people voting. Now to the coronavirus pandemic and the CDC weighing in on a rare heart risk, the vaccine and young people. Grecia Lastra has the latest on this. Despite finding a likely association between the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines and a rare, mostly mild heart inflammation in younger people, a CDC panel says that the benefits of a COVID-19 vaccine far outweigh the risk. And when they did happen, they were really quite mild and a majority of the patients recovered quite nicely. In a joint statement, the CDC, HHS, and more than a dozen health associations are calling instances of myocarditis after vaccinations extremely rare. CDC data reporting 323 confirmed cases in those 29 and younger. That's out of 26 million shots. Finding it happens mostly in young men about a week after the second shot. The CDC advisory group warning myocarditis is more likely if you get COVID and that it will be more severe than if you get it from the vaccine. This comes as the more contagious strain of the virus is spreading across the U.S., the Delta variant now in least 48 states. The spread of this variant, a concern in areas with low vaccination rates, renewing the push from health experts to get more Americans to roll up their sleeves. The worst might be to come. If you've not been vaccinated at all, you're at risk of serious problems. 34-year-old Colina Anderson, unvaccinated, now hospitalized with the virus, urging others to get that arm to needle. This is not a fun disease. It's, it's, it's not something to take lightly. The people who still think it's like the flu, it's not. Oh boy, is it not. This is Grecia Lastra reporting for U News. Let's go to Dr. Somia Champati. He's a former director of the surgical ICU at New York Presbyterian and CEO of Cleared4, a platform for safe return to work and school during the pandemic. Thank you for joining us, doctor. Welcome to U News. Thanks for having me, Andrea. What should parents know about myocarditis, that rare heart inflammation on vaccinated teens? Should parents worry about vaccinating their kids? Parents should definitely vaccinate their kids, but they should know that there is a potential risk of myocarditis. The highest risk is in young males, but even in the highest group, which is 18 to 24-year-old males, it's still about 1 in 20,000 people, so it's still very rare. It's much more risky to get COVID, to spread COVID, and because then you have a higher risk of hospitalization and death. Importantly, there were no deaths in these myocarditis folks, and since most of it happened in the first week, you know when to look for it. 
As we are already seeing, the Delta variant could cause a spike in cases. Could this threaten back-to-school plans in the fall? Well, yes, it certainly could uh, for several reasons. The, the important thing about the Delta variant is that half the new cases in certain states like Missouri and Colorado are from the Delta variant. But the good news is that vaccines do protect against the variant. So you should be getting the shots. And the actually is very protective. You get both shots. So make sure if you are going back to school that both shots will, will you have both shots. because That'll be very helpful. Many employees are being asked to return to the office. Now, how safe is it for those vaccinated adults? Well, if you go back to the office, you should be vaccinated. If you're in close contact with, with a lot of different individuals, and, and since most of America is starting to get vaccinated over 50% now, and hopefully by the fall, even in the 60 to 70% range, that will make the offices much more safe. Uh, I think that's very important for college campuses as well. Uh, as you were talking about earlier. But the thing to keep in mind is there's like a million international students on American campuses. So you still have to be very careful and monitor for infections, even though you've been vaccinated. In the past few weeks, a COVID-19 outbreak swept through a government building in Manatee County. That's in Florida. Six people contracted the virus and two later died. What more do we know about this outbreak? Uh, well, first of all, I want to say it's very sad that these deaths occurred. Uh, any death from COVID is sad, but this is particularly tragic because what we understand is of the six people in this office, which was an IT section of a government building, one was vaccinated and that individual was free. We don't certainly know about the health risks of any of the individuals, but one of the individuals apparently died outside the hospital. So that's, it's really important to, to keep track and do contact tracing so if somebody gets sick, Everybody else knows that they should be looked at. Now, some workplaces and colleges, like you mentioned, are requiring proof of vaccination in order to enter buildings. For example, Morgan Stanley in New York City. Will this be necessary for a safe reopening? Because many people oppose such documents because they say it's their personal health information. Well, that's a great question. And there's a lot of controversy on this issue. And every state is making different rules. I think you should know and everyone should know the following. The more you are in close contact with people who are unvaccinated, the higher the chance of getting COVID, spreading COVID, and actually causing that business to be threatened by shutdowns or loss of revenue. So businesses have to make decisions on their own, but they do have a risk, as we saw in the Florida government building, that if you don't vaccinate your employees and your students for fear of school, you will have a higher risk of an outbreak. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Somia Champati, co-founder of Cleared4. A very great conversation. Thank you for all that you do and have a wonderful day. Thank you, Andrea. Great to be here. And turning now to economic news, the number of Americans applying for unemployment benefits dropped last week, a sign that layoffs have declined and the job market is now improving. The Labor Department reports that jobless claims declined to 411,000. The number of weekly applications for unemployment aid has fallen steadily this year from about 900,000 in January. The U.S. economy also grew 6.4 percent rate in the first three months of this year, setting the stage for what economists are forecasting casting could be the strongest year for the economy in terms of growth led by strong consumer spending.
And the Biden administration has extended the nationwide ban on evictions until July 31st to help tenants who are unable to make rent payments during the coronavirus pandemic. It had been scheduled to end June 30th. The CDC said Thursday that this is intended to be the final extension of the moratorium. Six million American families are behind on rent and at risk of being homeless this summer, according to the National Low Income Housing Coalition. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You news covers the news of your world. It makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Vice President Kamala Harris is heading to El Paso, Texas on Friday. She will be touring the U.S. southern border for the first time since taking office. Edwin Piti has the latest details from Washington, D.C. Edwin. That's right, Andrea. The White House made the announcement that many had been waiting for. Vice President Kamala Harris will visit the U.S.-Mexico border for the first time since taking office. This trip follows a wave of criticism from both parties that said the vice president is failing when it comes to her role leading the response to the crisis at the border. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki highlighted members of the administration who will be traveling with Harris on Friday, a trip that includes many leaders from federal agencies. Take a listen. This trip on Friday, which is being done in coordination with the Department of Homeland Security, Secretary Mayorkas is of course joining her on this trip. Uh, you know, and and the planning and timing of it was done in coordination with them. Uh, is is part of the coordinated effort between her office, her work, the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, to continue to uh, address the root causes and work in coordination uh, to uh, get the situation under control. Saki also said that border security oversight falls under Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and emphasized that it's important that every component of the administration's response is coordinated. Getting the situation at the border under control is a job that President Biden assigned to the vice president, and that's why Harris recently visited Guatemala and Mexico, where she met with senior officials to discuss the root causes of the increase in migration from the South. U.S. Customs and Border Protection says it encountered more than 180,000 migrants in May alone. Harris will arrive at the border just days before former President Donald Trump, who is set to join a group of House Republicans and Texas Governor Greg Abbott, a trip that marks another sign of how closely Republicans continue to align themselves to President Trump. Live in Washington, D.C., Andrea, back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for that report. On the U.S. side of the dividing line, U.S. Border Patrol Chief Rodney Scott is stepping down. According to a source familiar with the decision, Deputy Chief Raul Ortiz is expected to step into the role in the meantime. Scott, who assumed the post as chief in February 2020, was expected to step down with a change in administrations. He began his career with Border Patrol back in 1992. 
And two watchdog groups are accusing immigration and customs enforcement agents of targeting immigrants protesting the conditions at its facilities. The ACLU and Physicians for Human Rights released their report Wednesday. They say it details the mistreatment of detainees who went on hunger strikes. The report alleges ICE agents subjected the migrants to forced feedings and forced hydration. It also claims when workers at medical facilities refused to force feed, private prison medical staff would be used to do it. The report says nearly 1,400 people went on hunger strikes at 62 detention centers from 2013 to 2017. ICE denies it retaliates in any way against detainees undergoing hunger strikes. Now to California, where the state's Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom, is facing a recall election. State officials confirmed Wednesday a recall election will proceed. This after just 43 people withdrew their signatures from petitions to recall the governor during a 30-day window required by state law. The recall drive has been fueled by anger over the restrictions Newsom put in place to curb the spread of COVID-19 last year. A date for the recall election has not yet been set, but a long list of candidates have already announced their plans to challenge Newsom. It marks just the second time in state history that a special election will be held to recall a sitting governor. Gray Davis, a Democratic governor, was recalled in 2003. Former Philippine President Benigno Aquino III has died. The man, affectionately known as Noy Noy, was elected in 2010 and served through 2016. Aquino's father, a Philippine senator who opposed dictator Ferdinand Marcos, was assassinated in 1983. His mother, Corazon Aquino, went on to win the presidency three years later. Benigno Aquino III is now dead at the age of 61. And in a shocking moment, a news anchor in Peru at the America TV station was broadcasting live on Tuesday night when an earthquake hit. The 6.0 earthquake struck near the coast of Peru. Many people were forced to leave their homes. No death or injuries have been reported. In Mexico, human rights groups are denouncing the alarming increase of kidnappings, rapes and assaults among stranded migrants. Since January, thousands of cases have been registered and the local authorities are not doing enough to protect them from organized crime. Jonathan Mejia explains. Tell them that you have been kidnapped. Show your face so they can see your face. Videos like this one are becoming more and more common. The victims are mainly Central American migrants crossing through Mexico to reach the United States. Organized crime groups kidnap them and demand ransom for their relatives. Carla and her baby were held for 40 days. Until they sent money, $10,000. But not all family members have the means to pay. Like Sara Aguilar, who a week ago sent this cry for help from her native Honduras. The only thing I want in life is for my daughter to be well, and I ask you to please help me with whatever you can. During the first five months of President Biden's presidency, these types of aggressions toward migrants have skyrocketed. From January through June 17th, 3,250 migrants seeking asylum in the U.S. who have been stranded in Mexico have been kidnapped, raped, assaulted, or violently attacked according to a new report by the U.S.-based NGO Human Rights First. 
They want you to have relations with them at one o'clock in the morning. They don't let her sleep all night. Imagine, at one, with your child. But not even the images of terror from kidnappers have stopped the migrants from fleeing their home countries. In the last two days, at least 480 foreign nationals in Mexico have been detained while traveling without proper documentation in the states of Tamaulipas, Puebla, Guanajuato, and Chiapas. And it seems to them that just because we are migrants, we have money. And that is a lie, because we do not have the support of anyone, only the support of God. Reported by Jessica Cermeño in Mexico City, Jonathan Mejia, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.